Dynasty draft time. I watched all of the post-draft press conferences. Hayden crunched all the numbers. We both watched all the games. So today, these are Hayden's top 24 rankings for Dynasty rookie drafts. Super flex with a little bit of tight end premium in mind. Hayden, how you feeling? Good. Uh, when I'm looking at Dynasty leagues, there's like a million different settings. So yes. like coming up, coming up with rankings is like impossible. Plus, like trying to find ADP is literally mission impossible. So this is kind of a vibes-based ranking. Sorry, okay. guys, it's not going to fit your exact ranking. I think the positional rankings are in my true order. If you needed a running back versus a wide receiver, don't stick to this exactly. The point of this discussion is to talk about these players or go watch our other videos about these players where we dissected literally all of our thoughts. Yes. All those videos are on like the individual prospects and their skills and their traits, showing you all film and stats to back all that up. Today, a little bit more landing spot focus, yes. both short term and uh, and long term. And it's going to be the top 24 today. And we're going to do a sleepers video a little bit later on uh, with maybe some fifth, sixth, seventh plus rounders that you all enjoy. Yeah, I just had my first dynasty draft the other day. Feel comfortable with it but man do things fall off a cliff so we really want to spend a lot of time on these top 24 names and yep. we do it in tier maker style all right here we go hayden since these are your rankings kick us off who is your first pick in dynasty rookie drafts it's got to be Bijan robinson i you can make a case for one of these quarterbacks but Bijan's such a layup. just looking back at uh my model, 99th percentile prospect, comps like Melvin Gordon, Darren McFadden, Todd Gurley, Adrian Peterson, Marshawn Lynch, pretty good. Um, even Tyler Algier, fourth rounder last year, averaged 4.9 yards per carry. This is an underrated offensive line that has some continuity going in for the next couple years. So I would be pr pretty surprised if he's not a, like annual top 10 back. Even last year with the Falcons, they finished eighth in fantasy usage to right. their running backs. We should expect this offense to only get better over the next couple years as well. Arthur Smith went out there after the draft, said that they want to be more balanced, but that might mean going from, you know, the most run heavy team with about 33 carries per contest down to average, which is, I don't know, 27 or 28. And then that's probably getting rid of, I don't know, four or five quarterback carries per contest and then going over to the running back position. Like you said, like Tyler Algier was super efficient, super productive. So much of that, not necessarily about the individual talent, not knocking out Gier here, but more so about the situation, the scheme, and the offensive line. Arguably, they even added on to that with Matthew Bergeron in yep. round two as well. Uh, I am highly interested in if Bijan can be that like transcendent talent, you know, the Saquon Barkley, the CMC era, or is he like a tick down, which isn't bad, of like the Brees mm -hmm. Hall, you know? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that Saquon and CMC, I don't think he's that good. I think that like Ezekiel Elliott is kind of right there. He's like above the Melvin Gordon tier, like Marshawn Lynch. Uh, he's not Adrian Peterson, for example. We're we're right there, though. And you don't have to be Christian McCaffrey to be a top five fantasy running back, obviously. We do have an early trope alert. We'll hear it from Arthur Smith here right now. We're able to work Bijan out. You know, took him to dinner the night before. Um, worked him out. It felt really good about it's no different than we did with Drake the year before. And some of the things that we were going to ask him to do, I mean, you see it on the tape. We knew his background, not just as a running back. The running back stuff was obvious on the tape, but the versatility part, where you use him and uh, where he's been effective. I mean, that, Here come the hand he did that with. at Texas at times, but his background playing in the slot uh, was another, another big piece of it. D-led, it's intriguing. And we just feel he's an explosive weapon. He's a home run hitter. And, you know, however he gets the football in his hands. I'm not here to tell you that Bijan Robinson is just an average player as a pass catcher. 
Uh, but I certainly do not buy into, again, the trope alert of, hey, we're going to put him in the slot. He's a versatile offensive weapon type. You're going to hear a lot about that from these press conference clips that I brought out for these rookie running backs. Uh, but even if he's not, you know, the Chris McCaffrey level type pass catcher at the backfield, it still is a quote unquote high value touch along with probably the touchdown and uh, opportunities he's going to get on this team too. I think last year there was one running back who had over a hundred receiving yards right. from the slaughter out wide. And it was Christian McCaffrey a hundred. Yeah. And then the next one after that was in terms of snaps was Devin Singletary. And he was yeah. like way, way further down the list. It's something that trust me, I love these post draft press conferences, but these decision makers love to trot it out every single year along with returnability. Okay. Second pick. Who is it? Anthony Richardson, my quarterback one. Uh, this to me is just the uh, the rushing potential here. We saw with Shane Steichen with Jalen Hurts. I think that Anthony Richardson is underrated with his in-pocket movements. I think that he's got a lot of room for growth when it comes to accuracy, just getting in uh, with some like actual uh, coaches that are, like know how to develop quarterbacks. Uh, Florida has not been very good at that in recent draft classes. So, yeah, I think the, the offensive line is probably a little bit overrated in Indianapolis, but he's going to be able to do all that short yardage rushing stuff. And they've got actually some skill players that I kind of like. Like, I think Alec Pierce is a little bit underrated. Michael Pittman, I think, is fine. Jonathan Taylor, obviously, at running back. So I think that he's going to hit the ground running. And even the quarterback's coach, he was previously with Kyler Murray and yeah. Cam Newton. So I think that they were ready for this move for months ahead of the draft. They're going to have a plan for him. Let's hear from head coach Shane Sykin since so many people termed Anthony Richardson a project during the draft process. With anything, right, I think the development of players comes with more experience, right? 13 starts, uh, I think when you play more, that's how you develop. You know what I mean? So with him playing and his experience as a player and getting more reps, right, practice reps, game reps, uh, I think that's how you develop. That's music to our ears because while he's going to take his lumps, while he's going to make some mistakes – doesn't really matter for us for fantasy purposes. It's not going to get to a point where he's going to get benched. And I th I'm confident in saying right here in what it's May 10th that Anthony Richardson starts week one or week two and we go from there. And just like the scoring upside in terms of rushing ability is so massive. And look, not going to call the Indianapolis Colts, the Philadelphia Eagles of last season, but Miles Sanders and Jalen Hurts both tied for third most inside the 10 yard carries across the league. And so even if you drop that down to, I don't know, instead of 26 opportunities, 15 opportunities for both, that is a huge, huge example of where Anthony Richardson's skill set is so different than the quarterbacks drafted ahead of him in this class. Yeah, if you're even on Underdog Fantasy in redraft, and remember, Anthony Richardson is more of a project than the other two quarterbacks. He's the quarterback 10 yeah. right for this upcoming season, and then the other two are closer to like quarterback 10 or 18, quarterback 22, somewhere in there. So I think that you can make an argument that there's even a tier break between these guys. Next up. I'm going away from consensus here. I have CJ Stroud. I thought CJ wow. Stroud was better. Bryce, Most people have Bryce Young ahead. I do want to say that uh, Stroud's... I think his environment is being a little bit undersold just because people are overlooking the offensive line. They have three first round talents on there. Plus they have Shaq Mason who saw they drafted a second year rookie center. This offense, historically the Shanahan tree has been phenomenal. CJ Stroud. I think that's going to run more just because Ohio state, those wide receivers were open all the time in the one game where he actually felt pressure against Georgia and with the weather in, uh, against Northwestern CJ Stroud scrambled a whole lot more. And I think he's got functional athleticism out there as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if he scrambles a little bit more. And I think that offensive line is pretty solid. And compared to like the Panthers, the Panthers on first round picks 
they don't have that many draft picks for the next couple years. It's going to be hard for them to find the receiving talent. CJ Stroud, even though they traded up for Will Anderson, they still have the Browns picks. They still have so much draft capital. I think it's going to be easier for the Texans to find wide receiver talent compared to uh, the Carolina Panthers. That current wide receiver talent is Nico Collins, John Mechie, Noah Brown. They gave a good amount of guaranteed money to Robert Woods. Then uh, obviously some rookies in Tank Dell and Xavier Hutchinson. But to me, it's two pieces. It's the offensive line, like you pointed to, Larry Tuntle, arguably the number one left tackle in the league. Titus Howard, I think, is one of the more underrated right tackles in the league when healthy. He's been a first-round pick last year in Kenyon Green, who was a disappointment as a rookie, but hopefully things get better there. Shaq Mason, a longtime veteran at the position at right guard, and they have probably a new center in second-round pick in Juice Scruggs. And what we always talk about with you know, the 49ers and setting their offenses up for success as they make life easy for the quarterback. Well, guess what? Bobby Slowick under Kyle Shanahan over the last few years. And we know just the accuracy, the pinpoint placement that CJ Stroud has helmet between the numbers, upfield shoulder, all of it. Yeah. I think he's probably a little bit more of a product of his environment than let's say Bryce Young or Anthony Richardson. But I think that environment can be accelerated a couple of years faster than maybe awful teams that we've seen in the past at the top of the class. And when I'm putting all three of these quarterbacks, Bryce Young is my next uh, player on the rankings. They come out with 85th percentile, 85th percentile, and then 83rd percentile. So th- that's just predict uh, predicting just overall production, not necessarily fantasy points. So we're talking about decent quarterback prospects, not ground-baking quarterback prospects with any of them. So the reason why I have Bryce Young just slightly below C.J. Stroud is, one, I thought that C.J. Stroud's arm talent and I think eventual rushing talent is going to be better than Bryce Young's. Bryce mm. Young's a better playmaker currently, but I'm not sh- sure he's going to be scrambling a whole bunch in the NFL because of the size. I don't think we're going to get any of the goal line stuff that we possibly will get with CJ Stroud because of the size. And like I said, they just don't have that much capital moving forward. Now, I will say their offensive line is good, but I'm not sure if it's that much better long term than the Texans even offensive line is. So uh, to me, this is what is your quarterback evaluation? I think you can flip coins between Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. I just like the longevity more with CJ Stroud compared to Bryce. You and I disagree here, and that's fine. If people want to go back and watch the Bryce Young video and the CJ Stroud video that we did during the draft process, that's not to say I don't love all three of these quarterback prospects. I do. But to your point that there is a tear break between them, I, I totally buy that because as much as I think Bryce Young is creative, it's creativity as a passer and not a runner, I will push back on just concluding that C.J. Stroud will overtake him in that department. Now, I'm not saying that Bryce Young is going to get these Jalen Hurts one-yard pushes and then that's not going to happen, but there are times when, you know, he does make that first man miss that he can pick up 8, 12, 13 yards on the ground, but short yardage touchdowns, which are currently – in the NFL, like the easiest way, like, I mean, the easiest way to score points at the quarterback position, if you can do it, I highly doubt that's going to be Bryce Young's game at the next level. Yep, completely agree. So we move on to some skill players. Let's do it. Number five. I'm going Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think that Addison and JSN are very close, probably close than people are giving credit for. Uh, JSN was a slightly better prospect in my model, uh, 94th percentile. The landing spot is pretty damaging. Uh, Tyler Lockett is older, but he's going to be under contract for the next two seasons. DK Metcalf obviously going into the prime of his career. And I believe Pete Carroll said in his press conference that JSN is probably going to be a three wide receiver set only player. Hopefully that's not true for next year or later in the season, but it's certainly possible if Tyler Lockett and, and DK Metcalf stay healthy. And then eventually once they get rid of 
Tyler Lockett, that's when the Geno Smith contract ends. So it's a little, little bit harder to see what happens here. And I will say that JSN, he did slide a little bit in the draft. I think that's because of the slot only, maybe the athleticism concern. So there wasn't like a massive tear break, what the NFL told us between JSN and the rest of these prospects, even though in dynasty circles, it seems like there was a massive break. Right. I believe it was what picks 20, 21, 22, and 23 all in a row that yes. all the wide receivers went. Let's actually hear from Pete Carroll about how he envisions immediately JSN fitting with his team. Like outside or the slot. No, I really like my mind Saint down. He's a, he's he's got can play inside on the slot right now. You know, he's got those kinds of skills, and, <clears throat> and he's we, he's shown us everything that we need to see. And we still we'll still use the flexibility because we love Tyler in there as well. And DK gets inside. We do move our guys, but uh, he really has a chance to be a big factor right there. Pete, what can that do for your offense? You seem to struggle to find a consistent third piece the last couple of years. Maybe you've got a couple guys in spurts, but not consistently to add that to your. I, and that's what, what we were in pursuit of in the draft, and, and that's why we're so excited to have gotten him. We thought he was the best guy to, in this draft to, to fill that role, and uh, so you know, it just it's it's why we're, you know we're so pleased about where we are right now going into tomorrow. You know that we can be nailed it without. Thank you for that throat clear, uh, John <laughs> Schneider. I love this uh, because the three archetypes of the different types of wide receivers they have on this team are, are all different. I mean, it's the Alpha and DK Metcalf. It's the vertical bucket catcher who doesn't offer anything after the catch in Tyler Lockett. And now you have Jason, who is just like economic movements, just winning with spatial awareness and how he like runs routes, um, not on the piece of paper. And really with Geno Smith, we talked about so much last year. The stuff he did last season translates year to year. It's like the sticky stuff. Like he is aggressive. He's willing to throw down the field. I know Jason, when we talked to Steve Smith, told him that he wants to be an outside player at some point. But like we always look for who is going to be out there all the time. And yes, the Seahawks might run a number of two tight end sets because they have they're a huge crush in Will Disley. They still have no offense that they traded for, but three wide receivers are really going to make their money. And JSN out there and immediately replacing Marquise Goodwin, albeit different players. I love this ranking here as your fifth overall rookie for dynasty purposes. They passed the ball more than people remember last year as well. Yeah. Really close. Jordan Addison, my sixth ranked player here. First of all, I think that he was kind of taking too much heat throughout the pre draft process he still goes in round one despite some of the athleticism concerns at the combine i think that he's very fluid his ball control is good his vision after the catch is very good there's a lot of things that do translate in my opinion as a number two receiver in particular and that's all he has to be in minnesota the only concern i have with jordan addison right now is kurt cousins in the last year in minnesota most likely and they're probably going to be picking around what 20th so right. what are they going to do at quarterback long term? They have T.J. Hawkinson, Justin Jefferson. All of a sudden, you go from a big, big tier break from Kirk Cousins to a rookie contract. All of a sudden, Jordan Addison has to be much better than T.J. Hawkinson. I think he will be, but that's the one slight concern here. But for this year, Jordan Addison, I have ranked ahead of JSN. He's my wide receiver one when it comes to rookies for this upcoming season, just because Kirk Cousins can deliver the ball. We saw Adam Thielen be top 20 receiver for, for years on end. Yeah, that's 2024 49ers quarterback Kirk Cousins that you're talking about. Uh, let's hear from head coach and play caller Kevin O'Connell about Jordan Addison's immediate fit in this offense. 
any receiver uh, that plays uh, in our offense, regardless of personnel group that you're in the game with Justin Jefferson, uh, for us to have the ability to move him around um, and then activate you versus some of the premier coverage looks you can get with how people defend Justin. Um, I think this player uh, gives us a, a chance to do a lot of different things and then pair him uh, you know, with KJ, uh, possibly working against single coverage and, and, and working away from some of that overloaded looks that Justin ten, tends to see. We want to make people pay for that, regardless of how we do that, um, at what level of the defense, what we're attempting to accomplish you know, within that play. Uh, it's all got to be something that uh, times up for the quarterback. It's all got to be something that you can uh, do in a way that gets people open within the rhythm and timing against really good pass rush, which is a weekly thing in our league. Um, and it all adds up to just efficiency and having separators at that position. Um, and then once they get the ball in their hand, you know, we feel like we added a really good guy after the catch as well, which is always a bonus as the play caller to know you can call something to get eight and you end up with 16 or more. Uh, that's a positive. This is why I watch the post-draft pressers, because what we just heard is a team acknowledging that Justin Jefferson creates um, defensive coverage that is shading to his side. And they felt that on their roster, they did not have two players. Now they do that can line up in a one-on-one -on -one isolated situation and win. So basically what we're saying and what KOC is saying is, hey, rookie, you're going to see one-on-one -on -one coverage on a number of snaps in one of some of the best looks across the National Football League, just go out and win your one-on-ones. That's all you've mm -hmm. got to do to have an awesome rookie season, and then you take it from there. I think we overstate how often there's double teams in the NFL. Justin Jefferson is legitimately the exception. Like These defenses are absolutely terrified. I don't blame them. He's the best receiver in the league, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, perfect man. But also, that goes to show you that as good as TJ Hawkinson is, when you are trying to scheme up one-on-one -on -one matchups, it is almost never to the actual tight end. Go get yourself a legit number two receiver. I think that Jordan Addison could do exactly that. And despite his weight, you know, and despite his frame, which is skinny, even with my YMCA dad bod, as some might put it, um, I really did like how Kevin O'Connell pointed out some other areas of his game that also might be overlooked in his athletic profile, where winning after the catch, his yes. gumby-like movements, his contested, contested catches and vertical ability as well like those really stood out when you watched jordan addison's game and didn't just look at his profile at the exact same time and one final point these are two contenders that we just saw with the seattle seahawks and jason and with the minnesota vikings and jordan addison that are both replacing their third wide receiver in three wide receiver sets obviously marquise goodwin with the seahawks and to an even bigger degree i would say over the last five years adam being the minnesota vikings so again these are good teams drafting the top two wide receivers in this class, arguably, that are immediately going to come in and throw the ball a lot. The Vikings threw the ball at the third highest rate last season. This is lovely landing spots for guys that we believe in their individual talents as well. And we don't hope that Justin Jefferson misses time, but if Jefferson misses time, like Jordan Addison's going to see 10 targets a game. And There's I'm not literally sure. no one else on the roster other than KJ Osborne, right. who is like the ultimate role player. Yeah, so lots of upside with Jordan Addison. All right, do All we right. have a tier break here? I got to throw this guy in here. Okay. I, I don't love to do this, but we have to. Jameer Gibbs, just because everyone is obsessed with this guy. And I wanted to bring this up real quick. He had four carries inside the five-yard line. He had 10 carries with two or fewer yards to go for a first down last year at Alabama. So that's a thing I keep to going back and forth. At 199 pounds, and he did not have a bell cow roll. A lot of the people that he's being comped to in the NFL who were small first round talents, very good players like Jameer Gibbs is were Heisman candidates. People talking about like getting 20 touchdowns a game, CMC dominant, Reggie Bush dominant, 
Jameer Gibbs was never actually that guy. He was a role player in college. He's going to be a role player in the NFL. So I think in full PPR, yes, I can be sold. In half PPR, I'm legitimately a little bit worried here. I know the Lions are going to score a bunch of points. I love that. But I'm a little bit nervous that people are kind of overrating him just because I play for fantasy touchdowns, especially in half PPR, and that's my one concern here. So he's still in this tier for me, but I see other people rank Jameer Gibbs all the way up to like the 102. I just can't do that because I'm a little bit worried that he's closer to like Javid Best, CJ Spiller, Mm. not as much Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, despite going much earlier than where I thought he was going to go in the draft. In Superflex, I consistently see him at that 105 spot after Bijan and after the three quarterbacks. That's actually here from Brad Holmes, the general manager of the Detroit Lions, of why they selected Jameer Gibbs. Uh, that he was um, he was just so explosive. He was so dynamic. And again, I think that um, if you're asking like the difference between Bijan and Gibbs, um, I, just, I actually think they're different players. Um, I, I think you know um, one one guy is probably more of a bell cow running back, um, very very talented player who's going to be a really good player in this league, and he's going to make a lot of plays. But I think that our guy Gibbs is a very very talented player that's going to make a lot of plays. I just think that they're different flavors. But they were both um, really high impact players. Um, but you know there was just something about Gibbs, and again, it's something about Gibbs for us you know it's not about what Bijan would be for us it's about what would Gibbs be for us and so that's why we had him such high regard he's literally telling you he doesn't want Jameer Gibbs to be a Belka running back in fact the team before trading out that sixth overall spot could have taken Bijan Robinson if they wanted to now I think that also points to them prioritizing Jameer Gibbs and his skill set and how he complements coincides with David Montgomery But to your point, I don't think unless we do see an injury to David Montgomery in this two-year window where they're probably playing together for Gibbs to be the one that overtakes him for the touchdown scoring opportunities, which at the end of the day in half-point PPR and standard scoring, whatever, is king among everything Mm -hmm. else. Yeah, David Montgomery's going to be under contract for the next two years at least, and he's obviously going to be the goal line back. Um, and then if you're trying to project beyond the David Montgomery, then all of a sudden you're shutting into like, what is this offense even going to look like in three years? Like no, Ben Johnson, off? probably Ben Johnson's gone. Like who knows? So I don't want to like extrapolate too far here. So I get it. Full PPR bros have at it. I'm just a little bit concerned about the, the weight. Weight is one of the most predictive things in my, in my modeling that I do. Like I think last year, like of the top 20 fantasy running backs, only two of them weighed under 210 pounds. Their average weight was like 219 pounds. I think Gibbs will be the exception to that. Yeah. But is he the exception as the running back 15 per year? Or is he the exception to be running back five per year? And I think that some people think that he might be the running back five per year. I don't think I don't think it's going to happen. We quickly, and we did this during the running back tiers video. Hopefully you all checked it out. Just to talk about like the dynamic of the two running backs that they have on the Lions. Because last year was clear cut, right? It was black and white. Jamal Williams scored touchdowns. He had 45 carries inside the 10-yard line. The next closest was 29 for Joe Mixon. That's not going to happen again this year. But add on top of that even more, he had 28 carries inside the five for 14 touchdowns. And Jalen Hurts was next closest with 20. Compare that to DeAndre Swift, who only had 14 opportunities in total inside the 10-yard line last season, carries plus targets. He had more than that if you like look at the 11 to 20 range, but as soon as they hit the 10-yard line, he's out of the ballgame. I'm saying that to imply that Jameer Gibbs is not DeAndre Swift because they drafted Jameer Gibbs to replace DeAndre Swift and kick him to the curb. So I think there is something to 
if they trust the player, they will just give him more opportunities rather than a guy they hate. And there's also something to DeAndre Swift not doing what they wanted him to on the roster last year, but still being productive in those moments. So mm-hmm. let your mind wander of like, if they actually like the dude, imagine what he can be. You know, I just think specifically talking about underdog fantasy and best ball this summer, the drastic difference of about 20 running back spots between the two is huge. It's yeah. cavernous, especially again, when touchdowns are so meaningful. And I think we can probably attribute those short yardage scores, not to the degree they were last year on the lines, but to Dave Montgomery in this offense. I have one final counter to that swift point. Lions last year had one of the worst defenses in the league. Mm. They were in shootouts all the time. I expect that to be the case still to some extent because their defense is still only average at best and the offense is good. But if you can start seeing some of these games get a little bit tighter, I'm worried about points. And also that was one of Jared Goff's best seasons. We've seen some brutal Jared Goff seasons. What happens in that scenario as well? So kind of copy pasting like these running back uh, splits from last year and with one of the best offenses in the league could be a little bit dangerous long term. Okay. Eight. Who is it? Quinton Johnson. Not a player I necessarily loved. I think that he needs a lot of development. Basically, the short answer is he needs to trust his hands once he's able to do that. I think that his downfield ability is going to open up. And I think that he also has a chance to become a little bit better in the intermediate parts of the field. I don't like him in redraft necessarily because Keenan Allen, Mike Williams are there. I think that Joshua Palmer is going to still threaten Quinton Johnson a little bit as a rookie. Uh, obviously, Austin Eckler isn't going anywhere. But next year, the Chargers cap situation is really bad. They're already tied up against it. They have Justin Herbert with a monster contract coming up. They basically, like without a choice, have to get rid of one or both Mike Williams or Keenan Allen. I was on a Chargers podcast, and they actually predicted that would be Mike Williams leaving. and Quinton mm. Johnson would kind of fill more of that X role just because Keenan Allen's like such a staple to the chargers, like kind of legacy. So that's where I would keep going back and forth. I didn't love his tape. My model loved him because the early declare size, uh, decently productive, not groundbreaking by any means, but I moved him up in my dynasty rankings more than where I wanted to based off of his film evaluation. Here's head coach Brandon Staley on what QJ brings to the table this year. Playmaking. You know, split, you know, the lot's been made about speed, but it's just it's being able to make plays with the ball in your hand. I think what he gives is he gives us the run after catch element uh, that, that's real. Uh, like I said, you know, for him to average, you know, 8.9 yards after the catch, that's, I think, an element of our offense that we needed. Uh, but, you know, he fits the mold of a, of a pro receiver playing outside the red line and what that forces defenses to do and how they play you. When you have legit people that can play outside, uh, that really tilts the coverage, uh, lightens the box inside, and then creates more room for the guys on the interior like Keenan, like Gerald, like Austin. So um, very unique player. And, and to, again, to add someone of his caliber with the type of production and then, you know, a captain, uh, you know, we're very excited about the pick. Just to explain the red line real quick, on practice fields, NFL teams about five yards inside of the sideline draw a red line, and that's to teach outside wide receivers the vertical line to run down. So it leaves enough room on the outside for his quarterback to hit and uh, give them space to get two feet down. So what you can take from this is Brandon Staley, Kellen Moore, believing he is mostly an outside wide receiver. Now, in order to do that, he's going to have to get better against press coverage. You know, he's going to have to win better and use his size at the catch point down the field. But it's so clear that the Chargers looked at their roster and said, look, we have Keen Allen and Mike Williams who are very good. But this guy brings a totally different element, and they cited multiple times he can take a play of the house 60 yards. Who else on this team can do that other than Austin Eckler? 
and then his 8.9 yards after the catch because they have been previously one of the worst teams in the league at adding yards after the catch for their quarterback. My prediction is he's going to be a, a relatively low-volume type of receiver, more of like a better and best ball type of profile. But you just have to – you don't have to be very good in this Justin Herbert offense to rake very well, I think probably next season. I, I, and I understand Keen Allen is a mainstay, and we know where he succeeds and makes his money in the league. I'm a little bit shocked that they haven't said more that they want to use Quentin Johnson in the slot because he was super productive on just 17 catches there last year. You know, 330-something yards. You get him free releases. He had four touchdowns there as well. But uh, maybe that happens once either Keenan Allen or Mike Williams mm -hmm. leave later yep. on. All right, next up. Dalton Kincaid. Um, so this is maybe a tight end premium or not. Uh, definitely going to be based off of your league settings here. So he had the most targets out wide or in the slot. He is going to be that type of guy. Like there's a mismatch kind of waiting to happen with Dalton Kincaid. The interesting part is the Dawson Knox contract. Dawson Knox is paid very well. Just got probably, paid. For probably the next two, maybe even three seasons where they can't get out of this contract. So what does that mean for Dawson Kincaid? Very rarely do you have two tight ends on the field that are both productive in fantasy. I think that Dawson Knox is pretty much screwed here. But Dalton Kincaid, if he's not playing in one tight end sets, he also might be screwed. It sounds like they're trying to make him a slot wide receiver. The amount of times I've heard tight ends being called slot wide receivers and not happening is way too much to count. I will say, I really like Dalton Kincaid's Yeah. Film. So... And Steph Diggs, quietly 30 years old. Josh Allen's not going anywhere. So it is a good landing spot long-term, but he has to basically prove to himself and uh, versus Dawson Knox that he can block at a good enough level to keep Dawson Knox, who's very, very, very well-paid, on the sideline. I don't think that's happening. Uh, here's Brandon Bean, general manager uh, of the Buffalo Bills, talking about it. And he basically says that Don Kincaid will not be blocking. I think he would. He pairs well in our offense. He's something we don't have. Um, like I said, if we're in 12, um, you know, when he's in the game, generally when you're in 12, if you've got two wide tight ends, you're going to get base defense. Uh, when he's in the game, we're going to get nickel as if we're in 11. So it's just, um, it's just a different style player. You know, six three, just under 250. You, you know, he's, he's not a receiver, but he is. He's more of a receiver. We're not going to be having him block a lot of six techs. <laughs> okay. I am with you in the regard that rookie tight ends can be landmines unless their name is Cal Pitts, right? Um, I do wonder if they treat him solely as like a detached tight end, if that takes some of the learning curve out of it where mm -hmm. he doesn't have to be conscious of being that end of the line of scrimmage blocker at all times and they let Dawson Knox do all the dirty work. I also, and we talked about this actually in the tight end rankings no, no. When did we talk about this? I can't remember. Maybe quarterback video as well, where Ken Dorsey, Brandon Bean were both with the Carolina Panthers during Cam's rookie year when they had Jeremy Shockey, then made a move during training camp for Greg Olson. They ran like a ton of two tight end sets, and that was super productive for them. Final point. Brandon Bean said it that, quote, we knew dot, dot, dot. We had a good feeling that Dallas would have taken Dalton Kincaid. So they jumped Dallas in order to get his services. Um, I'm not sure who this takes away from maybe just every other pass catcher other than Stefan Diggs. Cause there's been nothing consistent beside him, but man, the people are going crazy, not just in dynasty rookie drafts, but mm -hmm. also in best ball this summer on underdog as tight end 10 already. 
Yeah, the thing with the the dynasty tight end rankings, why I'm a little bit aggressive with them is, first of all, I think this class is no good. Like, we're going to start getting to this next tier players, and I'm like, wow, this is definitely a step down from what I'm used to ranking in this kind of tier. And the elite tight end ones are a little bit older. Travis Kelsey's a little bit old, if you haven't heard. George Kittle's over 31 years old. Uh, Darren Waller's like 31 years old as well. So there could be a little passing of the torch here where the previous elite tight ends are kind of out of the picture, and it's going to be a little bit easier for someone like uh, Kincaid to kind of move up. So I, I'm with you, though. I do think that this is going to be more or less the exception. I do think yeah. he's actually going to play slot wide receiver, and I think that he's actually going to have a little bit of production. So it's very rare to rank a, a rookie tight end as high as we are in best ball right now, but I think it's almost a little bit warranted. I agree. Okay. If there is somewhat of a cliff after this, who is at the end of that? Michael Mayer, I have up next. Um, yeah, there's I, such a, I mean, the NFL told us there is a drastic difference between Dalton Kincaid and Michael Mayer in their eyes. It's like what eight picks? Is that it? I thought it was yeah. more than that. Maybe it was like ten. It was like what twenty four to thirty. Maybe I'm thinking like it's a whole uh, you know twenty four hours between the yeah, round. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I can't I can't debate that. I will say Michael Mayer is an interesting prospect because, like we talked about in our video, only a 39th percentile adjusted spark athlete. Typically, the elite fantasy tight end ones are much better than that. At the same time, he was the most productive tight end in my modeling since 2005 because mm. he dominated at Notre Dame. He even had 4.2 yards per run as an isolated pass catcher, according to Sports Info Solutions. And long term, I don't see that much uh, competition. Devontae Adams is probably going to be there for the next two seasons. He's already going to be 31 years old. It's going to take a little bit of time for Michael Mayer to get there, but he was a 97th percentile prospect in my model. And he was one of these guys. He's labeled as a wide tight end, get out or just go out there and block and all that stuff. Not really the case. They motioned him out on tape all the time. He is winning in weird ways because he's not some great athlete. And I'm definitely nervous about that, but this class is no good. And that's why I'm going to be ranking these tight ends. Assuming this is tight end premium. I am just prefacing here, but Dave Ziegler got up there after they made this Michael Mayer selection. And again, prefacing, he talked about him growing as a player and said that, hey, we have Austin Hooper here on a one-year deal, OJ Howard here on a one-year deal. So it kind of makes me think that this is more of like a 2024 selection and kind of keeps okay. that same path of young tight ends needing development, which is totally fine um, because, again, this is – dynasty but i i highly doubt that we see the rookie year pass catching output from dalton kincaid and michael mayer in a similar tier here okay that's fair enough i, I will say austin hooper is making basically no money but he is a veteran and he's kind of a versatile tight end so we'll yeah, see I mean, oj howard signed a contract Nothing. with the bills last year and then got cut prior to the season you know right. so i'm not saying these are good talents i'm just mm -hmm. echoing what the general manager said and it again just reading between the lines sounded like this was a growing uh, development type player. And we'll get to the, a bit more of that with some of these other tight ends. Okay. Who's next? Zach Charbonnet still tilted about this selection. I was <laughs> right that he was going to go earlier because he's good at football. I was end up being wrong, I guess, because he's now behind Kenneth Walker. I will say Kenneth Walker is very good. So is Charbonnet. They just need one of them to get out of the way. Crazier stuff has happened. So I don't think that anything's really changed with Zach Charbonnet's complete upside case because this offense is very good and he can certainly handle a bell cow profile. But Ken Walker is going to be there, obviously, for their entire rookie contract. So I'm stuck here. This is a bet on talent ranking in this high. It's going to take something to break his way. I know he's going to be playing some passing downs. There's a chance maybe he steals some goal line work because Zach Charbonnet is a big dude. 
back there and maybe a more consistent runner between the tackles. If you're just talking about like hit this hole, who's going to do it better? Probably Charbonnet. So maybe he gets a little bit more goal line work than we're expecting, but this is ultimately just a bet on talent. I want to be betting on the Seahawks offense a little bit as well. It's a throw your hands up in the air situation and say, I just don't know how this is going to play out. Even if we love, and I mean, love Mm -hmm. both of these backs and the discourse around Kenneth Walker right now is like, it's sad to be honest in that people are just hating on big plays for like just pure efficiency numbers on a down and down out carry and carry out basis. When one of Kenneth Walker's plays can change the course of an entire game. Um, And I don't think like the Seahawks are down on Kenneth Walker. Like they called him before the Zach Charbonnet selection and just said like, Hey, this is good for everyone. Like this is how we're going to utilize both of you. And in a weird way, despite Charbonnet being a big body, he offers skills in areas where KW does not, especially Mm -hmm. in the receiving game uh, and being comfortable in that area. And like you said, he probably is more efficient on a, series in series out basis i don't know man like i wish it was a perfect world and both were top 10 options that we could draft in best ball this year but we obviously can't and uh the seahawks are gonna be great but like we've already talked about two of their rookies and we're only through 11 and they already had a great some great players (laughs) in kenneth walker and dk metcalf and tyler lockett on the table (laughs) just so tilting somebody in my mentions made a pretty good galaxy brain thought he said that because there's only going to be so many teams that actually value these running backs at a high level, that they're going to be the same teams yeah, just like that. completely cannibalizing themselves because it's always going to be the top player at their board. And the other teams are put, putting positional value up there. The Seahawks aren't. Maybe the Lions aren't either. They signed Montgomery and then draft them. So maybe we should expect some of these elite teams to keep going at the position while the rest of the NFL kind of punts it off. Mike Clay does a great job for ESPN with his projections. This is how he has it with Kenneth Walker. Uh, 235 carries, 1,031 yards, eight scores. 30 receptions, 214 yards. Zach Charbonnet, 113 carries, so about half. 476 yards, just three scores on the ground. Then just 21 receptions, 156 yards, and a touchdown. Um, I don't... What I do like is Seattle doesn't really give you a tell necessarily with both these guys out there. And so it's not just going to be like, okay, passing down work, boom, let's throw Zach Charbonnet. But maybe in some of those more clear passing situations, you can do that. I would be shocked if this season Kenneth Walker has more receiving production than Zach Charbonnet does. I think that's where he can immediately make his impact. Yeah, I think I'd flip those receiving projections between the two. But otherwise, nailed it. Mike Clay is so damn good at his job. Really, So smart. Okay. I love the Charbonnet pick. Uh, the next name on this list uh, better get me to yell and scream out of my chair. Zay Flowers. No. <laughs> that works too. Go ahead. Okay. This is much lower than everyone else ranks. Everyone. Flowers, right? I mean, this people are the comments I already. I've trust me. I've watched him. I understand this. I know Todd Monken's offense. I've thought about everything here. I still go back to this, that he's the fifth worst wide receiver prospect drafted in round one since 2005 from a model because He's small. He was decently productive at Boston College, but it's still Boston College. He was a senior, all that stuff. My fear is, as a rookie, he's going to be a slot gadget type of player, like a better version of what Devin DuVernay brings to the table. And that's a little bit concerning. Mark Andrews under contract for at least the next two years. Mark Andrews is still so damn good, in my opinion. Rashad Bateman, he is hasn't put it fully together due to injuries, but there's still a chance that Rashad Bateman offers a alpha type of profile here. I'm not expecting that much from Odell Beckham, but they did give him what $15 million up to $18 million with some easy incentives. So maybe this rookie season might be a little bit more challenging for Zay flowers. I think just my biggest fear is 
he gets put into the slot early and he stays in the slot. And all of a sudden you're Lamar Jackson slot wide receiver, not necessarily the greatest. And I just think that he was a little bit overrated for what the model says. I'm not sure if he's going to be an outside wide receiver. If you think he is, by all means, go for it. Being attached to Lamar Jackson's fun. Devil's advocate here. Not like Rashad Bateman has shown that much Correct. so far. Odell Beckham is on a ginormous one-year deal. Like there is an opportunity if Zay Flowers shows to be the best player that he becomes the best wide receiver on the team yep. immediately this season. Um, the Ravens do this exercise where they assign about seven to ten players to every scout. It's probably like who their first round target might be. And Zay ranked at the top of that list for them this year when all those seven to ten uh, scouts came back in unison. And actually, Eric DeCosta, the general manager for the team, spoke with our own Steve Smith at the Combine and said, quote, if Steve has that much respect for a receiver, you better pay attention. Um, yeah, I just want to draft Lamar Jackson this year. That's it. That's the easy answer. Go Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson. I, the counter to that, though, if Zay Flower is a baller and he is the wide, wide receiver one over Rashad Bateman long term, Marquise Brown during Lamar Jackson's MVP season was what, like a boom bust wide receiver two three? And that was a vertical player. Lots of vertical plays. Right. So, like... If that's kind of what we're hoping for, that he's Marquise Brown. If Zay Flowers is Marquise Brown, I think that's a that's a win for mm. what Zay Flowers profile. Yeah, I, I would just say that obviously their games are very different, and Zay and how he squares up and wins after the catch is, is intriguing. But yeah, I mean, what I keep coming back to with Lamar is what he had ten touchdown passes in the opening three games, and then seven the rest of the season, and now he just has a, a boatload of weapons. So yeah, this is much lower, but I, I do understand it from the perspective that you just said. Okay. I feel like in the world of streaming services, it is very easy to forget that you subscribe to a platform for just one show, one event, one game, and then get charged over and over and over again. We've all been there after checking our monthly bank statement, and that's just the start of the process. After that, you have to find out where to cancel, how to cancel, click on this button, that button, email this person, that person. But now there is one easy way to take care of all of that. It is Rocket Money. It shows you all of your subscriptions in one place and then cancels them for you, whichever ones you do not want. And in fact, Rocket Money can find subscriptions you did not even know you were paying for. That's like an extra, you know, five, 10, 15 bucks that you found in your couch cushion. Again, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money is over 5 million users and helps save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash underdog. That is rocketmoney.com slash underdog. Rocketmoney.com slash underdog. Next up is who? Jonathan Mingo. And Hell now yeah. this, we are Mingo! back way above consensus on this one and i'm high enough i'm tossing everything out when it comes to the model 84th percentile athlete he's actually big 62 220 he kind of looks like aj brown like just like physicality wise obviously the old miss uniforms helping me out there a little bit went way earlier than expected to the people that's sleeping at the wheel not mm -hmm. for the tape grinders like josh and i um dj charks around just for 2023 Adam Thielen's around for the next two years, but he's already 33 years old. And I think that he's basically going away. Bryce Young, if everyone says he's as good as what we think, I think Bryce Young is going to be a good in-pocket passer. That's going to be okay for Jonathan Mingo. And like I said, at the top of the show, 
they just don't have they don't have that much draft capital to like really adjust to get some alphas. So there's a path for Jonathan Mingo. I think that his production profile was really bad, but he did break his foot in week four of his junior season, the most important season, and he was kind of eaten before that. So maybe there's a chance that we're kind of underrating him. I just go back to watch our video on him. We think that the tape was at least intriguing. You can squint and see a path. And that was with Matt Corral and not some rando USC transfer they had this season. Uh, here's head coach Frank Reich on how Mingo fits as a rookie. A creativity standpoint. Yeah, you can move him around. Um, you can move him around. You know, we put all of our past game into kind of different families. Uh, and we just, as I said earlier, we just see him as a really good scheme fit. We run a lot of shallows, crosses. We want to get the ball vertical. He's been very effective there. Um, and the thing about a guy, like Scott said, when a guy has elite ball skills and you got a super accurate passer like we do, that's just a really good combination. You know, just get it near him. Like Scott said, he's got strong hands to the ball. Um, you know, he'll be a great target for Bryce. Scott, May 10th prediction, Jonathan Mingo is the Panthers' leading receiver this season. Um, I love what Frank Reich said because it sounds like they're not going to ask him to do too many things. You know, mm -hmm. it's just be a good athlete, shallows, crossers, and then go up when it's one on one and probably single high looks because the Panthers run the ball really well. Go up and beat your man and win a contested situation or just run away from him. Like, that's great. That's early career AJ Brown stuff, you know, and it's not like that's Frank Reich's background or Josh McCown's background or Thomas Brown's, but like, this is the skill set. And it's always funny to me when we go through these dynasty things, because all I hear, all I hear throughout the whole process is, man, draft capital matters the most. But then when we get Jonathan Mingo as the 39th overall selection, and I do a bit of digging and just get, quote, high as fuck when his grade is on their board, um, then it doesn't necessarily matter and other things trump it, you know, like this was the first receiver taken on day two. And that has a really strong track record on a team that is dying for a playmaker. And Mingo is the best playmaker on that wide receiver crew already. This is our guy. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? Uh, I landed him at the 14th overall pick um, in my recent dynasty draft. And I uh, feel rookie draft, I should say. And I feel incredibly good about it who's next Rasheed rice i have not watched that much of him just to be completely honest i plan on doing a really big deep dive on him what i do know about him though is that he has some physicality 73rd percentile adjusted athleticism and the target competition here is wide open sky Moore, a fellow second rounder in this offense mbs he's a cut candidate going into next year Kadarius tony they traded basically a third rounder for Kadarius Tony, I love Kadarius Tony. I think that he's way better than Rice straight up, but he's had some injury concerns and hasn't been able to stay on the field. So all it takes is Rice to go on a little heater for five weeks, and you will not be able to trade for this guy. And that's why I kept going back to is like it might not be consistent production, but if you get even a little glimpse of upside attached to Patrick Mahomes, you're gonna be a solid, solid pick. So I think that's where I'm at. This class, I don't think is very good. Rice is kind of a middling prospect, 72nd percentile, but all it takes is a couple touchdowns in this offense and Good luck trying to trade for him. And second-round draft capital. Uh, here's GM Brett Veach on Rice. Um, these are guys that you know you can do some some different things with. Um, certainly excited to add Rashid to this mix here. He was a guy that um, you know the contested catch and the run after after the catch was something that really stood out. And you know we did lose Juju, and I think it it makes sense to you know find a guy that can do a lot of things that he can do in the inside game. And he's almost like a running back after the catch. And um, this guy's done a tremendous job of, of getting better and improving. We saw that throughout the course of last year and went through a lot of adversity, but the kid, his mental resiliency is, is, is awesome. And, um, you know, look forward to, for him to take the next step. And, you know, everyone knows about 
Kadarius and how talented he is. And, you know, Kadarius can do anything on the field. He can line up inside, outside, running back, quarterback. I mean, he, he can do it all. He's quarterback back in this day. So, um, again, we just like to put talent out on the field. And and coach will find ways to put these guys in different positions and different formations and different sets. And, um, you know, you throw that group in there with a bunch of talent we have at tight end. Um, you know, I, I let the coaches do their thing. But, um, you know, all three of those guys, you know, we're really excited about. I think that last point is most important here. Like, the Chiefs know it's an outside shot of any of these guys emerging as like a pillar piece of the wide receiver position. Like everything revolves around Travis Kelsey. But if you have enough pieces that do certain things well, plus Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, good things are going to happen. I will say the comment of the closest one-to-one comparison in the wide receiver room to Juju Smith-Huster, who was out there in two wide receiver sets significantly in 2022, is Rasheed Rice. That stood out to me. That's big time. He's the guy that has the physical profile that can actually do that. Like Sky Moore, they basically use him kind of like a gadget special teamer. Kadarius Tony's been kind of a gadget guy to date. Um, and then MVS is kind of a one-trick pony downfield. So I I understand their thought process that this could be uh, a Juju Smith user. If he's out there for 70, 80% of the snaps, I mean, come on. Like, this is going to be a layup. Even like, what happens if Travis Kelsey misses time? Like Patrick Mahomes still throwing for 4,000 yards, 30 touchdowns. It's got to go to somebody. So take your chances. And with them not being able to hit these massive explosive plays anymore based on coverages, it also stood out that they said Rasheed Rice was like a running back after the catch. They know that they have to win in that area now. And they lack that, you know, with MVS and Juju last year, other than those like two or three ridiculous Juju plays that he made. I did notice Veach was saying that Kadarius is so uh talented and then with sky more they're like we like his mental toughness usually not a good sign <laughs> quick note rasheed rice and patrick Holmes worked out pre-draft uh down in dallas so something to keep in mind after rasheed rice who is it hayden i'd like to um quickly put michael meyer down uh right here <laughs> yeah let's, let's drop him down a tier <laughs> and we are putting him right ahead of luke musgrave like it like it in. okay i really like luke musgrave uh i got a chance to watch and we did not do a video on him He's a very fluid athlete. Like, I think he's got NFL size. He's 85th percentile height, 55th percentile weight, 80th percentile adjusted spark athlete. The reason why I like those three stats in particular is because he has a size to be a one tight end set starter. That means that he's going to be out there for all the, the, the snaps. And then in two wide receiver sets, he has the athleticism to go out in the, into the slot. He only played two games last year, but in those two games, he went absolutely crazy. 3.2 yards per route run, which is absolutely freaky numbers and a lot of the like deep dynasty uh and film grinders out there really liked luke musgrave even before that last season so i think he's gone a little bit underlooked the biggest thing for luke musgrave is target competitions very little uh options out there in green bay and his primary competition for snaps is always going to be tucker craft who's the same size and about the athleticism as luke musgrave but was just drafted much later so if he's only going to be competing against a rookie, guess what? We can basically throw out all those rookie kind of tropes about how they can't get on the field. They're learning two positions. Well, his only other option is also a rookie. Right. So they're going to be sticking with one of these guys. So I want to be betting on Luke Musgrave. I think that long-term, he's got a chance to be a really good player. I wouldn't be surprised if he actually becomes the tight end to own uh, in this class. No Robert Tunyon, no Mercedes Lewis, and it goes even beyond that. The Packers lost their top three slot options last season. Randall Cobb played 209 slot snaps. Alan Lazard, 195. Robert Tunyon, 151. So it's not just the tight end position. It's just the middle of the field in general. Um, mm-hmm. Christian Watson was at like 89 there. So I'm sure either in this video or the next, we're going to talk about uh, another one of their receivers that their pass catchers that they took. But 
one thing that stood out, and again, maybe I read between the lines a bit too much. They loved how he stretches the field, which means, you know, bigger plays rather than the shorter receptions, which is good. But year one and year three will be different. So they almost talked about him as a developmental guy, but at the same time, he really can't develop other than being on the field for the Packers this yes. season. So, and we talked so much about athletic profiles matching the elite tight ends. Laporte has, no, excuse me, Musgrave has an awesome athletic profile, which could help. So does Sam Laporta, my next guy up there. Uh, like you said, he has a lot of athletic traits, 87th percentile 40-yard dash, 88th percentile three-cone. He had 99th percentile yards per team pass attempt among drafted tight ends, 99th percentile. This guy has a chance to be very good as a receiver. The one thing that separates him versus the others is he's very small, 10th percentile height, 19th percentile weight. Can he block? And in particular, in this offense, can he get Dan Campbell, a NFL tight end, ass kicker, massive human, kneecap biting freak? Will he like Sam Laporta's blocking? Now, I will say there's not that much uh, competition. Like Brock Wright is basically who's going to be competing against for, for blocking opportunities. But that's like the one thing. Can Sam Laporta get his hand in the dirt and stay on the field for enough snaps basically to become an every week fantasy tight end? You have to play in 11 personnel and 12 personnel. I know Laporte is going to be the slot receiver in 12 personnel. Is he physical enough on those rushing situations to stay in there? That's my only concern with him. I think it's worth noting also that he was the second tight end taken. You know, Kincaid went 25th, Mayer went 35th, Musgrave, who you rank ahead, is 42nd, and now Laporta here was a 34th overall player. Let's actually go back to uh, our buddy Brad Holmes and hear what he said about Sam Laporta. There's a work ethic, all that, but him as a player, th those things that he can do from a versatility standpoint were really intriguing. Again, another guy, I didn't really know much about Sam until I watched the film this fall. You know, um, some of those other guys you heard about in the past, yeah. and then you see Sam, and again, I'm thinking, okay, uh, I look at him like, okay, I've seen one of these guys before, and then you start seeing him operate from the slot and and, and being a mismatch man-to-man. -man. You start seeing him operate out wide and winning slants and winning go routes versus DBs and being able to find voids in the zone, and then his ball skills and his rack and his ability to finish. I mean, when he gets that ball in his hands, he just turns into kind of a different player. And you see the the, the, the violent finish. He, he He's gritty. We look for gritty football players, but he has the hips. He has the change of direction. He has a quickness. He has all those things that, um, I mean, he was playing wildcat quarterback in the bowl game. Uh, again, he's playing in the bowl game. Yeah. You know, like that, you don't see that top prospects are coming out in the draft. Often those guys are opting out of those games. Yes. He's playing in that game. Jack Campbell's playing in the bowl game. Jameer Gibbs is playing in like those things alone. Just tell you a little bit more about the type of players that these guys are, but we're really excited about Sam. Um, he's going to be able to do a lot of different things and um, expect a pretty early impact. It's old school organization when they're talking about playing in bowl games, but uh, I love me some Brad Holmes. Uh, Sam Laporta's, Intriguing, and I know this is dynasty rookie rankings, but I'm willing to take a shot on that as like tight end 23 right now in best ball drafts too this summer. Yeah, the interesting thing is the Lions have this type of player in Amon Ross St. Brown, like maybe the best in the game at this kind of slot movement, yards after the catch, physical toughness, all that stuff. And then they just drafted Jameer Gibbs. Right. So, how many of these small gadget guys are they going to have running over the middle of the field? Like, I mean, it's a little bit confusing, but I understand. Like, he has athletic traits. That's how you get fantasy ceilings, and this offense should be putting up some numbers, so he has a chance. Next up. Kendra Miller. This yep. was my pre-draft running back four. 
I'm a little bit bummed about the landing spot, to be honest. And I think that some people are kind of like trying to thread this needle, which I understand. Alvin Kamara is going to get suspended this year. If Kendry Miller is really good, he can overtake Alvin Kamara. The problem is Alvin Kamara just restructured his contract. It's not in the guaranteed money. It's prorated money. He's probably going to be on the team for the next two years. Same thing with Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams just signed for decent money for the next two seasons. Even Taysom Hill is going to be around for the next two years once you start getting to this kind of needle that you have to thread that he has to be better than all of these guys and at the same time the saints offense has to just be better with Derek carr who's probably going to be under contract for the next two three years how do you thread this needle exactly i really like henry miller he can be a full-time full-time player in my opinion he's got the size and the athleticism and the production early declare power five all the stuff i love the landing spot just be based off these contracts is making me a little pump my brakes i wanted to rank another tier ahead of this Line that stood out to me was Dennis Allen saying there are a b- bunch of joker types in this class. So like your Jameer Gibbs, your Devon A-Chains, that's the word that he used. And not that many three-down players. They view Kendra Miller as a three-down player. So mm-hmm. if they something does happen to Alvin Kamara, and obviously Jamal Williams is truly one of the best role players in the NFL for what he does, but he's just that, maybe down the line, Kendra Miller, something can happen in that regard. Am I reading into that much? It seems like a bad landing spot for him. No, People I mean, like look, him, right? Taysom Hill is legit uh, going to score some short yardage touchdowns, I'm sure. You know, like there's just a bunch of competition right there. Only thing to add, things can change quickly in backfields. Like Alvin Kamara is a perfect example of this. When he was drafted to the Saints, albeit a very different skill set, they had Mark Ingram and had just signed Adrian Pearson for agency. And then boom, Alvin Kamara comes out of nowhere and uh, makes himself uh, a huge, huge player in NFL circles. Next. Tier down, you're not going to like this one, and it's the same kind of tier for me. Jalen Hyatt, I have right here, just because the chain people are going to hate you. That's fine. I'll, we'll we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Jalen Hyatt dropping around three is not good, right? Not not a good sign for say. him. But I will say, there's almost no competition here. Isaiah Hodgins, one year, not even making a million dollars. Darius Slayton, who's a fifth rounder. Uh, two years, $12 million. Those are going to be the boundary wide receivers. I think that Jalen Hyatt could easily push one of them. He actually has more draft capital than both of them. Uh, and then like in that inside the slots, like Wandell Robinson, all these guys, they're just like small little guys. So it's not great. Jalen Hyatt definitely went later than what I thought you were right about that one. But I do think that he has some vertical ability and at least he's attached to a coach that I like. And there's quite frankly, just not that much draft capital here. So I actually think he's going to get on the field a lot as a rookie and i can't necessarily say that about some of these other players in this tier joe shane the general manager is good friends with josh heupel who is the tennessee head coach so he basically like shoot away any concerns about a transition i really like brian dayball but brian dayball gives nothing in these post-draft press conferences which i was shocked by um he kind of in a throwaway line compared it to a Gabriel Davis like skill set in terms of someone who came in early on as like the wide receiver four or wide receiver five in certain situations and made plays in that way basically didn't guarantee him anything and maybe Mm -hmm. he can just develop from there and I'm not comparing him to Gabriel Davis but I think it's apt in this regard working under day ball and earning your opportunities from like a limited skill set early on they get there differently, but low volume, deep threat. I think that yeah. what Gabe Davis and he, the difference is there's no there's no Steph Diggs on this roster, so there's at or least Josh a chance. Allen. Right, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> okay, next, Marvin Mims. Oh my so, gosh, we're gonna get demonetized because of this Devon A chain hate. Go ahead. We'll get there. We'll get there. Marvin Mims. 
Uh, I think an in-development player, um, but he's got a path. Like, long-term, we have Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick. They're both cut candidates next year. KJ Hamler, he's in the final year of his deal. The guy might not even play football ever again. He's had so many injuries. Jerry Judy, he's not signed beyond 2024. I think they'll keep him, but it could be Marvin Mims and Jerry Judy. And it seemed like Sean Payton went out of his way to draft Marvin Mims. He checked a lot of the analytics boxes that we look for. Uh, I do think that he needs some development because he's definitely smaller, ran a lot of option routes in Oklahoma. I'm not sure how much that translates, but he's got the size or the, he's got the speed that this kind of offense is is shooting for. So I'm going to take my chance with Marvin Mims. Yeah, Sean Payton, once he goes to a team, just kind of owns it, you know? And it stood out to me that Jerry Judy's fifth-year option got picked up. Uh, I'm a little nervous that Cortland Sutton just like has no juice left at all. Mm-hmm. Um the reason that Sean Payton said to draft Marvin Mims was one, he was a top two pump returner for them. But two, it looked like he was driving on Saturdays and Sundays rather than Monday through Friday, which basically means when he was running vertical routes, it was wide open space because of his vertical speed while a bunch of these other guys were facing traffic, you know? Um, so yeah, to me, that sounds like a role player, but I liked Marvin Mims quite a bit. I thought how he adjusted to, uh, passes downfield was intriguing and he stood out to me as like a vertical wide receiver three that you hope development happens and then he can be a two wide receiver set player yep completely agree with that fine let's get a chain <laughs> so the first thing that we need to mention here is he's 188 pounds you know a lot of people have him as like the 13th or 14th Sure. overall pick in dynasty i'm just saying i'm, I'm yeah. looking at it from both frames no I, I completely understand i think that he's going to beat this ranking like at a median level but at the same time you have like 14 people in your dynasty leagues like you need like alphas like you, you're not going to win your league because uh devon Chain became the 14th best player in this class like i'm looking for someone that actually has a chance to really get there and devon Chain, he cannot get over this size he is second percentile weight 188 pounds the last, uh, the top 20 fantasy running backs averaged 219 pounds. Only Eckler and CMC, who entered the league smaller and put on a lot of weight, and it took them a couple of years to really get to that level. Yeah. They were uh, much bigger than Devon Achain was. And even like I compared him to Raheem Mostert. Raheem Mostert is still 205 pounds. He's only had over 200 touches once in his entire NFL career. So while the landing spot is perfect for Achain, because obviously McDaniel loves him, outside zone scheme fits him all that's fits him very well we don't see players like this is like Tariq Cohen it's like betting on Tariq Cohen like maybe he can do it because he was an SEC guy and he win the third round but the amount of times I see that these these small guys get hyped up and can never get on the field and we always pretend that like the running back 38 on the week is actually making a difference it never does if you're starting to foundation your team's probably effed a few thoughts just to counteract that so we cover both sides of course I think a lot of people are going to say well he's 188 pounds because he was also a track guy at Texas A&M. And now that he's not, maybe he can gain weight Two, We like to focus a lot on like follow the money or follow like who makes the decisions. Mike McDaniel freaking loved Devon a chain. Oh yeah. Two weeks before the draft, McDaniel was convicted that he wanted a chain at this selection. This is the earliest he's forced Chris Greer to take a running back since 2016. Mm-hmm. And that was Kenyon Drake. Um, McDaniel did not think he would be on the board. Quote, all the players I like, I'm a pessimist that they will be there. Speed, we generally like that around here. My hesitation is one you didn't even bring up. I think they end up with like Dalvin Cook on the roster this year. Yeah, and 
I was going to get there. Just because Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert aren't making any money and they're older and all that stuff does not mean that another guy is not coming either this offseason or the next one. I think Devon A-Chain, you're hoping that he's Raheem Mostert. Is Raheem Mostert winning your dynasty league? No, he never was, never will. And that's where I'm like, I'm hoping that he becomes Raheem Mostert. If he becomes something more than that, we're talking about like a complete outlier. I'm not completely ruling that out because he was an SEC guy. Maybe the track stuff matters. But at the same time, he just got finished playing football in the SEC and was trying to right. go to the NFL, not go to the Olympics. He would have put on the weight that he wanted to, to, to put on. So to me, like, yes, is he going to beat the 20th ranking on a median level? Yes. Is he actually going to be in your lineup and actually be making a meaningful difference? I'm not sure if he has that in, in his range of outcomes. At 188 pounds, though, he does run heavier than like the 215 pound Izzy Abanaconda, who's later on too. So, like, I think there's yes. a difference in that. But I, I am with you with a lot of what you are saying. Um, I think it's really he's like a shiny object. He's a really shiny object, and we love to accumulate a lot of those at times in fantasy football. Okay, who's next? Will Levis. Um, I didn't think he was very good. We discussed why we thought that there was a chance he was going to slide in the draft. He did. All of that stuff comes true. There was a report from Diana Rossini, who's probably, I would say, the number one Titans beat reporter by a wide margin. Uh, she said Fair. that this is Ryan Tannehill's team for this year. And so all of a sudden, now you're going into potentially next year. And this team is just so bad. They just have no long-term options at at basically offensive line or skill, skill talent. And I just didn't think that Will Levis was very good. And this team kind of plays slow. They run the ball a ton. Obviously, that's like with... Derek Henry, which is not going to be a long-term thing for them, but they're going to want to win with defense. And I just didn't think that he was very good. So this is like as low as I can actually put him, like given super flexish rankings. First you insult H chain. Now you insult Chigo Quanquo. Okay. Uh, here's what Mike Rabel said about Will Levis. Gentry, I think we, we, we can obviously be transparent. Um, Kentucky was a much different football team in 2021 than what they were in 2022. Um, so yeah, if we, if we protect him, when he's out there at whatever point, uh, if we don't protect him better than what it was, it's probably going to look the same, just like it is for every quarterback. So um, we, we try to look at the really good exposures, the great performances. We try to look at them, what they look like at their worst, uh, and, and then just try to get you know pull the curtain and, and see what it looks like. But there were some some really impressive performances against some some big-time defenses in the SEC. Now there are some decisions that have to be better. You know, we can't put the ball in harm's way, uh, no matter who our quarterback is. So – Multiple reports, one from us the night before the draft and others since, that the Titans were trying to trade up to the number three overall pick to draft C.J. Stroud. That obviously didn't work. I think just from a depth chart standpoint, they had Ryan Tannehill and Malik Willis. They want nothing to do with Malik no, Willis. So they it. needed another quarterback on the roster because Joshua Dobbs is, I think, in Cleveland now. And so Will Levis is your backup quarterback. Like. I think he's their long-term backup quarterback. They're going to draft a quarterback early next year, and then Will Levis is going to be the, the long-term guy. That's what I think is going to happen. I'm slightly stunned you don't have Hendon Hooker over him then. but I wanted to, but and I actually did until last night. Uh, there was a report that Hendon Hooker is not going to play this year. Um, so that, but, I mean, that's expected, especially now in the Lions. Or is that from a knee standpoint? Yeah, the knee was just like he's not going to yeah. play, and that makes me a little, a little bit nervous. Got it. Okay, do we have any more, or is this it? Um, I got I got four more names. We got to get to top twenty four. I'll, I'll hurry this thing up. I've been taking my sweet ass time. We got nowhere to go. Cedric Tillman, wide receiver nine for me, uh, falls with the Browns. Donovan Peoples Jones and Cedric Tillman are the two X receivers. Amari Cooper plays in the Z. Elijah Moore is going to be a slot option for him. 
I don't think that Donovan Peoples-Jones is going to be here long-term. And I think that Cedric Tillman's basically going to take that job. Donovan yeah. Peoples-Jones was like, what, the wide receiver 50-ish before the draft in best ball rankings with Sean Watson. So maybe something's there. Amari Cooper's going to be around for probably the next two years. Same thing with Elijah Moore. So I think the ceiling is like relatively low, but we're talking about X traits, and it's hard to find those type of traits. And I think that long-term, the Browns kind of got some upside here with this offensive line coaching staff and Deshaun Watson. And they're also one of these teams that doesn't have a first round pick next year. So it's going to be harder to find a legit wide receiver competition for them. Kevin Stefanski, Andrew Barry both said they previously didn't have size like this in their wide receiver room. I don't know if that's optimism for Donovan Peoples Jones, like you said, who is what six to 206 pounds. Mm-hmm. David Bell, who they just drafted last year, who was also like six one two hundred and twelve pounds. But it sounded like bringing in this speed of Marquise Goodwin and Elijah Moore this offseason to go along with Amari Cooper and a guy with these traits of Cedric Tillman. That's they wanted the balance in that regard. So Tillman eclipsing both those veterans that I mentioned, um, I think could be in the path in his future quickly. All right, two more running backs, Tank Bigsby and then Roshan Johnson. Tank Bigsby is going to be the power complement to Travis Etienne. Travis Etienne really struggled in the red area last year. Tank Bigsby is basically going to compete with Dearness Johnson, who's like a fantasy football like folklore. Like, Why do we think Dearness Johnson is very good again? One game, I forget. Uh, this is very strange to me. Tank Bigsby, I think. It was the good. same offense. I think Baker Mayfield was good, so that kind of tells right. you. It was one game. It was like a Thursday night football. And like all of a sudden, like everyone keeps expecting him to be a thing. He's not going to be a thing. Tank Bigsby could be a thing, especially because we've had our concerns with Travis Etienne to some degrees. Uh, Tank Bigsby is basically the exact opposite. I don't think he's that exciting. There was nothing sexy about his profile, size, speed, production. None of it is all like mediocre. But guess what? Mediocre attached to Travis uh, or Trevor Lawrence. I'm at least moderately intrigued. Travis Etienne last year had 23 carries inside of the 10 yard line. I believe that was like the ninth most tied for the ninth most across the league. Um, Travis Etienne in a weird way to me is like a first and second down player. And they kind of searched for a Jim Michael hasty type to be like that third down pass catching right. guy. Um, but who knows if Bigsby is the one that kind of takes over maybe some of that short yardage work. At the end of the day, we heard from Doug Peterson at the combine saying, I want three to four backs on the roster. And with third round draft capital, and by the way, every single year that Trent Baalke has been a general manager, he has selected a running back, which is an interesting fact. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? But third round draft capital for a running back here is pretty significant. Yeah, I really like Tink Bigsby here. Uh, I might even have to move him up. I don't think he's that different than Devon A. Chain in rankings, which I think is a contrarian <laughs> take. Oh um, Roshan Johnson's the last one on this top 24. Uh, tough landing spot, really. Like I, I was a fan of Roshan Johnson, a slightly later than what I was expecting. But the problem long-term is if Justin Fields is there, he's going to steal goal line opportunities. He's not going to throw the ball to the running back. So I think that Roshan Johnson has a chance to get there in best ball because uh, for this year... Deonta Foreman, Khalil Herbert, fine players. Nothing too crazy, though, right? Roshan Johnson could get there. But the Bears last year were 30th in running back fantasy usage, and that was with David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert. I'm not sure if Roshan Johnson is going to be David Montgomery, at least what the NFL is saying. So I think Roshan Johnson is going to stay around the league, but I think it's going to be Samaj P. Ryan, and Samaj P. Ryan attached to Justin Fields is not does not hit as hard as Samaj P. Ryan attached to, to uh, Joe Burrow. So I think Roshan just kind of mid. I don't know. It is the most ambiguous backfield, I think, in the league at this moment. Um, stands out that Khalil Herbert 
even last year when he was the healthier back was still the one to every two series that David Montgomery got. Deontay Foreman had his moments obviously with Carolina, but when the game was a negative, he was not playing at all. Mm -hmm. And Roshan Johnson, actually Ryan Poles came out and said that where we really liked him was his passing downs and his pass pro. Like that might be his pathway um, to early playing time. And we know like, if he gets a short yardage opportunity, like he has a good skill set for that too. Yes. It's, I like the ambiguousness. Ambiguity is actually the correct word, Josh, of the backfield. But I do wonder about like the true ceiling outcome here. He basically needs Justin Fields to go away. Like that's just kind of how it goes. Well, let's not end on a negative note here. Uh, All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us. These are Hayden's top 24. There's a bunch of faces down below that we will then talk about in a later video in a quote unquote sleepers video for dynasty rookies. Um, I've realized that a bunch of those video clips from press conferences were at 1.25 X. So they're going to really sound sped up if you uh, quicken them in whatever platform you listen to. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, good. We can't have these coaches with the I hand got so movements. many clips or uh, comments of people saying, did you speed this up? Why are they talking so fast? I'm like, do you listen to everything in real time in one X speed? Insane. No. Insane. Two X game. Come on. Um, Thank you for tuning in again. If you want more in depth of strengths, concerns, weaknesses, whatever of each of these individual prospects, we have videos on the channel, nine to 12 minutes on every single one of them. All right. Haynes rankings are in the description down below and go play best ball right now. Even if you aren't in a dynasty draft, go and draft these guys because so many of them will make a difference this year in fantasy football as well. All right. For Hayden, I am Josh, up the fellow. We'll talk to you soon. See ya.